This is the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Kemper Lesnick. From Chicago for NBA All-Star Week, with special guests, Scott O'Neill, the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers and New Jersey Devils. I hire the smartest, toughest, high character, most driven, passionate people I could possibly find. I want to create the greatest place to work in the world, so I spend a lot of time on people and culture and talent and and the way it all works. And Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner of the WNBA. I do think you can be what you can't see, but what you need are three things, and they all happen to begin with C. Confidence, courage, and curiosity. Now, the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Kemper Lesnick. Welcome, welcome. Thank you all for coming and for braving this cold and snowy Chicago weather. NBA All-Star Week 2020. We're excited to be here. My name is Amy Littleton, and I'm Executive Vice President at Kemper Lesnick. We are very excited to welcome Brian Berger and Rick Buecher today to Chicago. Basketball is in Kemper Lesnick's DNA. Our Chicago-based agency combines brand activation, public relations, event marketing, and content marketing to help brands, leagues, and events deliver powerful results. This special agency has created programs in sports for more than 40 years. Kemper Lesnick operates big televised sporting events. We've developed the Maui Gym Maui Invitational into the premier preseason college basketball tournament in the country. We operate the number one high school basketball exhibition, the McDonald's All-American Games. We have a whole team of public relations professionals that generate awareness, drive impressions, spark engagement, and compel action through storytelling in news media, social media, and in public. We consult with brands to align sports sponsorship to engage customer audiences. We produce content. We're producing a live stream today uh, from documentaries to viral videos. And we bring our team of fan experience professionals to create and execute brand activation programs that maximize the ROI on sports sponsorship. Please visit us at KemperLesnick.com and follow us on social. We are very excited to bring you the Sports Business Radio podcast with Brian Berger. Brian is a lifelong journalist and founder of the Sports PR Summit. In his widely listened to podcast, Brian focuses on the biggest issues and people impacting the business of sports today. We're thrilled to have him here in the Windy City in front of a live audience. Please give a warm, hearty Chicago-style welcome to Brian Berger. How's everyone doing? Thanks for being here. Uh, got some cold weather for us. Uh, a few housekeeping notes. You've got uh, cards on your table here with the hashtag that we'll be using today. If you feel like posting on social media, use that hashtag. And without further ado, let's welcome Scott O'Neill, who's coming in hot right off the plane. Thank you, Scott, for being here. Have a seat. It's good to be here. Scott O'Neill is the CEO of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. Uh, amongst his many responsibilities, runs the Philadelphia 76ers of the NBA and the New Jersey Devils of the NHL. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm happy. I'm healthy. <laughs> you know, it's beautiful out there. This is very good. Let's start off with uh, we have a mutual friend, David Stern, the late David Stern. We were both at his memorial service uh, last month. And, you know, I know you actually worked at the league office as a senior vice president for several years. Give me your best David Stern story that you can tell in, in mixed company. Yeah, mo- most of them cannot be told. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, you know, he was like anyone that was around him. He made you feel like you were you were the most important person in the world and that he really cared about you. That was the good side. The bad side or tough side was he, he wasn't the nicest guy in the world. Um, and so he was very – it was all purposeful um, to get your attention. And he believed in things like micromanagement is underrated. And I believe in fear and intimidation as the best management techniques. So so not things I subscribe to. Um, but I, I there's been nobody in my life that's been more influential – to me, as as a dad, um, as a as a husband, as an executive, as a steward in the community, than David. I mean, I, I cannot possibly, and I I tried to express how much I appreciate him and thank him, but 
But um, there were lessons every day. I mean, I I traveled with him a ton, and um, and he would have stacks and stacks of paper. My, like kind of a funny thing that I, w- I would tease him about, you know, as recently as a, a couple months before he died, was it was I think it was like 2003 or so. And we were on our way to Denver, and he had this big stack of paper, and and he was grilling me on like 50 things, and he would just go down to a level where you couldn't answer anymore. Like after like 23 levels down, I'm like, uncle, you know. <laughs> And he's like, you know, what are you reading the sports papers? Because he always he believed that you you know we as executives need to be more well rounded, and like especially in our business, we have to get off the sports pages and get not only in the business pages, but also life sciences and technology and understand the geopolitical landscape, which I totally subscribe to. Um, and he kept saying like, do you know what Wi-Fi is? It's like Wi-Fi now, right? But. Um, but, but, but the funny thing is, is like, you know, that just shows you how he's so far ahead all the time. And so I would give him a hard time about that. He called it Wiffy, but, um, here's a man who actually changed the landscape of sports. Um, you know, we were in China in the eighties, the NBA by, by say, I say we, um, and you know, magic Johnson contracts the HIV virus and everybody's running for cover and, he studies and learns because he knew got the best doctors in the world and then and then had him play in an all-star game and changed the world narrative on HIV and AIDS. Like th- this this man has, you know, forever changed the landscape of the world. Um and I'm I'm forever grateful for for having known him. But but he he is the meanest man I've I've ever been. <laughs> wow. See, I never worked for him so I didn't see that side yeah, of yeah. him. But there's too many people that have said what you just said for it not to be true. Yeah, yeah. So, but that is one of the things that a lot of people have said about David. And I know you believe this too, that sports is a great igniter for doing good in the world on, on, you know, whether it's global or locally, you give the magic Johnson example, magic spoke at David's memorial and talked about how impactful that whole experience was for him. But I know your organization uh, is doing as much as it can to impact the world globally as well. Yeah, I mean, we, we all, I mean, in all our daily lives, we're always looking for purpose. And um, most of you look younger than I am. But when you get a little older, you start kind of waking up thinking about, okay, like, what is the mark I want to leave on the world? Am I doing everything I can uh, to make a difference? What purpose do I have in my life? Um, and and for me, I think sports and entertainment, in particular live sports and entertainment, has an incredible and I think increasing purpose today. And that is is that it in in a world where we are on our phones, you know, whether it be in the grocery store line or we're ordering um, doctor meds off an app, or you know, I mean, th- think about like the level of disconnect um, that we have. Um, and I think what live sports provides is a sense of family and, and community and neighborhood that we yearn for, just our kind of basic human nature yearns for, that we had or I had growing up that I think is dissipating now with uh, the, the next generation. And so I think for one, one real purpose of what we do and why it matters is like we bring you together to hug a perfect stranger, high five, cheer, dance, let your hair down and feel part of something. And I think that matters. And the second thing it, 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 that we have is more of an obligation, and that is because we truly have impact and influence on people um, through this love of sports. And, and we, we could spend – I could spend hours on the other side of that argument saying how ridiculous it is um, and that we shouldn't have the kind of impact and influence we have, we, but we have it. And with that then becomes a, a stirring obligation. It's like how do we take that love, that passion, that interest – and, and how do we make sure that we use that for good and make the world a little bit better? And so in, in our organization, um, we each pledge 76 hours of service, uh, which is it's, it's, it's also, you know, if, if I'm truly Machiavellian, I'll tell you, like, it's really good for the Gen Zers and the millennials. And most of my organization are really young. And, um, and so they want to work for a purposeful organization. I can tell you for our, our partners that we work with, for the media members, they see us. We shut down the office once a month and we go serve. We roll up our sleeves and serve. And and you don't have to serve with us, I say, like as a, as a team. Some people would rather go serve at their church or, or coach their kids or work in an, an, you know, an elderly home or wh- whatever you want to do. I, I just think you need to do something. And so in our organization, we talk a lot about the impact and influence of volunteerism. And um, and I hopefully we're making a difference. You just talked about David Stern's management style. What's yours? 
<laughs> Aspirationally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I would say, um, I'm, uh, you know, as I've uh, kind of come on in my career, I started as an assistant. So it's a really good way to start. Um, and um, in my business, you know, it was a secretary, not, you know, but it was called an assistant. But I was out there like fetching coffee and picking up dry cleaning and getting autographs from my boss and, you know, doing all the crap. And um, and I worked for a lot of incredible leaders and managers along the way. Um, and I was really blessed in my career to have worked for probably, you know, I don't know, six or seven CEOs, that guys who became CEOs. And I had them young in their careers. So I got to work for, for work with some extraordinary people. Um, Adam Silver, the current commissioner, is one. And Bernie Mullen is another one. Seth Berger, Joe Banner. Um, I go on forever. But um, so I, I guess I'm a little bit of a product of that, of what I've seen. Um, that's part of it. I'm a little bit of a product of what I didn't like. So I try to do what I what I I saw plenty of that in in our businesses. It's a pretty rough and tumble uh, management and leadership style. And then my my parents are um, leadership development trainers, and so I grew up since the time I was nine years old collating their books and seeing my mom up in front of a room of three hundred people, mm. um, making them laugh and making them cry and teaching. So so I have a pretty like interesting background. So I, I'd say to crystallize on an answer. Um, I hire the smartest, um, toughest, high character, most driven, passionate people I could possibly find. Um, so that's one. Two is I want to um, create the greatest place to work in the world. So I spend a lot of time on people and culture and talent and, and the way it all works. Um, in terms of my style, um, I'm very emotional. Um, I am... Um, I defer to experts in their field. Um, I push you to be better. I, I, most people that, that leave me say they've never worked harder. They've never learned more. Um, and they've never had more fun. They just didn't realize it when they were having it. <laughs> <laughs> so so we, definitely, we definitely push. I, I, have a, I have an appetite you know, and big eyes um, when I got to this organization. Um, it was just the Philadelphia 76ers, and we were last in the league in every measure, ratings, ticket sales, sponsorship. And, um, and you fast forward to today, and we have a hockey team in a top 10 arena in the, in the world, and we have a, a football club, and we have a, an esports organization and an investment platform where we invest in early-stage companies, and we have an accelerator. We have a sports marketing company. And so, so you, you know, um, if, you, if you're – I'm looking for people who want to go for the ride. You know, and um, and if you want to go for the ride, then you'll have a lot of fun. You know, if you're the way the quick the quickest way out of our organization is um, if you don't work, you'll either opt out or roll or get rolled. Um, if you're selfish, um, you have too big an ego, you don't stand a chance. Like not a chance in our place. Um, if you're an extraordinary teammate, you'll be celebrated. If it's you remember that commercial? It was a Bugs Bunny commercial. My 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 my. I don't know if you remember that. You're probably all too young. Anyway, so there was a great a great cartoon with Bugs Bunny, and it was all about him getting his stuff. That never works in our place. And so you have to work hard, be an extraordinary teammate, and be an institutional learner. Which means like you wake up every day thinking about not patting yourself on the back for what you do know, um, but but kind of celebrating the the journey to learn more. So I don't know if that gives you a little insight. No, it gives me a lot of insight. You are the only executive I know of, maybe there's others, that sits atop an NBA team and an NHL team. Two completely different cultures. How do you go back and forth between those two very different cultures? Yeah, my, I mean, my um, it starts with my first premise, which is like I work with really, really impressive and talented people. Um, and so if you took... You know, Chris Hack and Jake Reynolds or um, Laura Price, who's our COO, or Katie O'Reilly and Jillian Frechette, who are CMOs, um, you start to get a picture of, if you knew them, which pre presumably you don't, if you knew them, you'd be like, oh, this guy is probably taking a vacation this week um, because they're the most talented, driven people I've ever been around. And so for me, um, my job is different now. Like I, I, I loved operating. Um, and that's the one thing I miss in my job now. Like I like getting my hands dirty and I only get my hands dirty when things go south. 
Um, and then I dive, I dive pretty deep. But in the, in, the, in the meantime, like my job is like to make sure that strategically we're going in the right direction. Um, that from a growth perspective, we have a pretty aggressive aim to double the company in five years. And to do that, you know, maybe 20, 25% will come organically. The rest we've got to go acquire. So I've got my hands full there. Um, I spent a lot of time on, on culture and people and making sure that it's not only, you know, my direct reports I'm spending time with so that I know the, the, you know, account executives and our, our service folks, the people on the ground are actually touching customers is when I, that's when I learn about what's actually feeling and doing. Um, and then I've got like, I say a third in admin BS crap that I wish I could get rid of, but can't seem to shake. Um, but other than that third, I have the greatest job in the world. And so, and with, and I work with the great, I think the most talented people in the world. And so for me, I've got to make sure I keep my eye on the prize, um, make sure I'm enabling and empowering, um, the talented people to do what they need to do to get them the proper resources to challenge them when there's a strategic question and I think they might be going off off course or to challenge um, a specific group that's struggling um, about can we should we be uh, replacing an executive should we be doubling down on initiative should, you know we had it recently where um, in the team business uh, which is it's a relatively simple business you sell tickets you sell suites you sell sponsorships you do it like a TV deal every. 10 years, do an arena deal every 20 years. And that's the whole business. It's not easy, but it's simple. Um, but but our, our our take is that content and data will, will determine the winners and losers over the next decade. And so prying resources off of, of um, maybe tried and true things that worked 10 years ago from executives who are really well steeped in their business is hard. And that's where I'll come in and, and pry them away. Um, and, and today, like, we're investing where we think the business can grow tomorrow, not necessarily today. So that's the kind of place where I, I dive in. When you come to Chicago for NBA All-Star Week and, and these major events, what are some of your goals? Like what do you want to accomplish this week? Are there certain people you want to meet with or activations you want to see when you come in for All-Star? Yeah, this is probably my 20th or so, 19th or 20th All-Star. So I, I, I've, I've – I've a seen a few, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, so generally, I mean, one of the purposes I have, we, we, we have an investment fund, um, it's HBSP, it's a venture fund, um, and we're taking it from $25 million to $100 million. So that's, this is an area where I will see a lot of friends that I will talk to them about. So that's, my, that's a core purpose. Um, Live Nation, which is the, the biggest uh, music pr- producing company in the world, um, they're one of our partners in a, in a sports business we have, a marketing business we have. Um, I'm going I'm to spend some time with them because they have a huge presence in Chicago. Um, uh, catching up with old friends is always nice and good. And um, <clears throat> I, I always think that good things happen when you're around a lot of really smart, driven people. And uh, the Tech Summit, which the NBA has put on since uh, Golden State, I think, in 1999, is it's kind of the who's who of the sports basketball world. And so that that's where hopefully we shake some trees. From where you sit, what do you think about the format changes to the – game itself i know there's been a lot of talk the last few years that the format of the game and some of the things around all-star week all-star saturday need to be freshened up from from where you sit someone who runs a team what are your thoughts yeah i mean i i love all-star i mean i really do like this it's you know if my wife if if my wife were here i'd say you know other than our Anniversary All Star is my favorite weekend. Wow! But um, you really? But like it. but I do. I love it here. It's <laughs> it's like for me. It's like um, I guess it's like my version of a bar mitzvah. Um, I I it's everyone I know and love is in one city okay. um, and generally at the same events. So I so I I love it. Um, what I do. What I also love is I think the, the leagues do an incredible job. And, and you, you can go back to I think the NHL does an incredible job. Like the way they've evolved the game since since the last lockout. Um, and you move to three on three overtime, then the all-star game becomes three on three. And all of a sudden, you know, and then they set up little competitions with the divisions. All of a sudden it's really interesting, you know? Um, and I think the NBA has been tinkering and toying with all-star and slam dunk and three point. And, and I think this, this latest change is great because you have, it's a great nod to, to charity. And, and I think it's, it's, it's a league that understands its obligation. Um, it's great. It's biggest stars understand. We have two, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are, are both here. 
playing, um, and they understand like the impact that they have. They're mega stuff, like mega global stars, which is kind of interesting to have them all on the stage together. Um, and then I think the tribute to Kobe is fantastic. Like, so the, the last quarter will be 24 points higher than the, the finish total of the three, um, which is fantastic without it, without a clock if you haven't followed it. But I, 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 I'm, I'm less interested in, um, what the specifics are, although I think they're really well timed and, and interesting. I'm just, I like being part of a league that is innovative, is different, is pushing the envelope, is open to new ideas, is open to change. Because sports, the, the essence of sports is, like the this of sports, is the memory of your mom taking you to your first game. That, that's what it is, or at least was for me. You know, it's my mom taking me to my first Knicks game when I was eight years old. And walking through Times Square, which was very different from Times Square today. <laughs> um, and so, and so we, we need to, to both respect and love that magic that sports provides, but also not to be so shallow to become boxing or horse racing. No disrespect to those sports. I love them both. But if you go back to the 50s, they were the top two sports in America. Hmm. And could they have changed? Could they have you know, been a little more innovative? Um, could they have figured out a structure that actually worked for kind of modern day media or television? Um, yes, 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 yes. And I think when you're at the top of the mountain, like the NBA, it's really easy to, to sit and rest, put your feet up. David Stern actually used that on me one time when I was like running around like a madman. I've been working for 15 hours and I finally sat down next to him at the game and I just sat down and I must have had that look like, thank goodness it's over. And he literally looked at me. He's like, you comfortable? I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, pretty comfortable. He's like, you want to put your feet up? I'm like, no. And it got worse from there. But, but nonetheless, but that's the NBA mentality. It's like we're never, we're never satisfied. And, and Adam Silver, the commissioner, who's, who's not only a dear friend, so I might sound a, a hair biased, he, he's going to go down as the greatest commissioner of all time in sports, in my opinion. And, um, and it's, it's not an accident. Like he is uh, smart and driven understands relationships, you know, with media to players to team executives to agents and anybody in the ecosystem, he, he is right there. And, boy, is he pushing for change and innovative and innovation. And it, it's fun to be part of. So do you think that's coming? I mean, we just talked about All-Star, but you know, there have been proposals floated for Commissioner's Cup and things like that. I know when we have Kathy Engelbart up here in a minute, WNBA is trying that out. They're doing a Commissioner's Cup. Right. Do you think that would work? I know it's worked really well for soccer. Do you think it would work in the NBA? Um, yeah, so what he's referring to is just a, an in-season tournament that the, the league is kicking around. And it, it's, it's, um, it works in Europe really well mm -hmm. with the soccer clubs or football clubs. Um, and I think it would be really interesting here. Um, there's a lot of things that have to right. – you have, a lot of hurdles you have to jump over to, to shift the season. And, um, and I think – it seems like the league's up to the task. It looks like the teams are, are up for the conversation. And so we've probably been talking about it in depth for about a year. And I think it's really exciting. And, um, and I'm, I'm glad that he, that he, Adam, is leading us. Because that's, that's, those types of changes are hard. And you need strong leaders to do it. And I think he's just the right guy. Well, it seems like the owners are pretty innovative and uh, you get the board of governors together, and they see what needs to be done too. It's not so many old school people in one room where they're adverse to change or opposed to change. Yeah, Adam's philosophy is that he's more of a states' rights commissioner. He believes that the innovation will 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 be pushed out. So he believes that if you empower and give a provide a platform and an opportunity. That, that those in Portland or L.A. or Philadelphia or Miami or Orlando or New Orleans, um, that's where the new ideas and the fresh ideas and the changes will come from, which I love. And, and he's provided – Amy Brooks, who, who runs uh, – she's the president at, of the NBA and uh, worked with me when I was there, who's a terrific executive and a heck of a hoop player too, played at Stanford. Um, she, she's driving kind of that innovation platform and engaging teams weekly. It's pretty exciting. Last question for you, because I know you have a crazy busy schedule. My two favorite all-star memories, one, 1988 dunk contest, MJ and Dominique here. Two, 
Magic Johnson, 1992, I believe, when he played in the game when he returned to the NBA. What's your favorite All-Star memory? Vince Carter winning the dunk contest okay. in Golden State. Wow. Yeah, the, you know, it's over. Um, I'm not sure why that, that sticks in my mind so much, but that is the one where um, I was running a, a small company called Hoops TV, which I ran into the ground. Good story for another time. <laughs> How to spend $15 million in 18 months. Um, it's a great book. Um, uh, but I, I was kind of knee-deep in, in, in that um, at the time and very very engaged and involved in kind of lifestyle and basketball and dunk contests and how it all comes together. And so that that's the me- – if I had one burning memory is that one. Awesome. Scott O'Neill, let's give him a big hand. Thank you. All right, get on with your day. We're going to keep the Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Kemper Lesnick. Thank you for Kemper Lesnick for having us here today. Let's give them a big hand. Now we're going to welcome to the stage Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner of the WNBA. Give her a hand. Thank you. Kathy, thank you so much for being here. Have a seat. That was a big step up. Yes, that is a big step up. My 15-year-old daughter was so excited that I was going to be speaking with you. Tried to get her out of school, but it just didn't work out. So She, could she couldn't even get a snow day today. I know. Uh, so I was doing my research on you. Five brothers, two sisters, family of eight? Yes, yes. You probably learned a lot about resilience <laughs> just growing up in your family, right? I would say we learned a lot about competition. Um <laughs> And, uh, you know, competed from the time. So I was the fifth of eight, the middle girl, five brothers, three older. So I was thrown out in the backyard all the time with the three older brothers to play two-on-two basketball, wiffle ball, street hockey, uh, stick ball, you name it. And, um, you know, every spring when the snow would melt, and I grew up in the Philadelphia area, snow would melt, my brothers would spray paint a foul line. And we'd actually argue about how far they were putting the foul line because uh, I was younger than them and didn't have the power that they had. And, um, you know, just growing up in such a big family and big basketball family. My father was actually drafted by the Detroit Pistons in 1957. Wow. So you might say I have some basketball DNA. Um, and I went on to play at Lehigh University, small D1, but for now Naismith Hall of Fame coach Muffet McGraw. So uh, my dad played for Jack Ramsey, Dr. Jack. So a lot of basketball DNA there. And you walked on at Lehigh, right? I did. I actually was recruited for lacrosse back in the day when you could actually play two sports in college back-to-back. I played basketball and lacrosse. Basketball would end on March 1st. Lacrosse would start on March 1st um, because you didn't play on turf. You played on grass. So you actually couldn't play in the Northeast until the snow melted and the ice. So, um, yeah, you could play, too. And I walked on. And Muffet McGraw tells the story today now, of course, that I'm the commissioner. She says she almost cut me my freshman year when I walked on um, because she thought I was a cheerleader, not a basketball player. <laughs> um, but, you know, we have fun with that one. I bet you do. What are some of the lessons that you learned from Muffet? Well, you know, one of the things about Muffet, intense, intensely competitive. You know, Notre Dame's having a tough year this year, but last year they had five first-round draft picks in the WNBA after coming off a national championship and then a runner-up in a national championship. So, you know, Muffet, you know, was just intense. She was also from Philadelphia, played for St. Joe's, where my father played and is in the Big Five Hall of Fame and the St. Joe's Hall of Fame like my father. And and, you know, it's just a competitor. And one of the things, lessons I learned going into business after 33 years in business taking over as the commissioner was, you know, and this is good for the students in the room, you know, she taught us you must be your best in your ordinary moments because if you're best in your ordinary moments, then when there's an extraordinary moment, you're going to be great. Hmm. And translating that to basketball, it was like practice, practice, foul shots, foul shots, foul shots, because – when you're when you're exhausted in the fourth quarter with a minute left and you get fouled and you're on the foul line, that muscle memory of that practice, you're going to be great in that extraordinary moment. And that that was you know essentially how Muffet kind of coached at least back in the '80s. So you were at Deloitte for 33 years. You yes. were the first uh, woman CEO there for four years. 
What was it about the WNBA opportunity that got you to leave a company where you were there for 33 years? Yeah, so I was there since I graduated and um, had, had was blessed with an amazing career culminating in being the CEO for about four and a half years. And you actually have a term and it ends. So I knew in June that term was ending. And, you know, I just assessed I wanted to do something different, something with a broad women's leadership platform and something I had a passion for. Um, the NBA and WNBA were looking for a female business leader for, with a passion for the game. So think about that match, you know, different passion, women's leadership platform, female leader, uh, business background. So, you know, it just seemed to be a good fit. I actually have a good friend who works at the NBA who called me about it last October, October of 18. I said no. He called me in November, December, January, February, and finally in March. Um, as I knew my son was going to college and my daughter was graduating from college. And I said, you know what? I, I need to do something different here. And um, I was intrigued and talked to Commissioner Adam Silver and Mark Tatum, who was the interim president at the time of the WNBA, and got very intrigued about a big women's leadership platform. And we actually not only can change women's basketball, but women in sport, which I knew had been underinvested in. I didn't know how much till I came into the role. Uh, and, and, you know, here I am. Uh, actually, seven months tomorrow I'll be in the role. Well, and it's phenomenal what you've accomplished in the seven months, a groundbreaking collective bargaining agreement. Uh, I think $130,000 is going to be the average salary for a WNBA player. Uh, so many great accommodations for them from travel to paid maternity leave apartments, things like that. We never saw this before. And, you know, I'm following what's going on in soccer, too. And uh, I think you guys have really paved the way with this new collective bargaining agreement. And I think it takes someone like you who has that passion for sport and basketball, but also the business mind to be able to see like, all right, if we make this investment, we can actually become better in the long haul. Yeah, Brian, it's so so important. First, I'm so proud that we were able to do this groundbreaking agreement. So I came into the role. The players had opted out of the last collective bargaining agreement. They weren't happy. They didn't trust the league or the owners and, you know, came in. And what I quickly I quickly embarked on a 12 city tour of our 12 WNBA markets. And I met with the whole ecosystem, owners, GM, COOs, coaches, players, media and fans. And after that, I literally in a three and a half week, four week period, came back, kind of inventoried everything I heard, came up with 54 initiatives. And for those from Loyola here, that's too many. <laughs> I mean, I could have, you know, six years in this job and that's too many. So we started to think about what is the key strategy here? I'm not sure we ever really had a strategy. So the key strategy was number one, player first. Number two, owner and team success, economic model, read economic model in that one. And number three was fan engagement. We need more fans. We need more money. We need more uh, sales and marketing capability. But we always have to do this with a player first lens. And so that's what we embarked on this, this kind of three tiered strategy. Because one thing I did assess early on, the foundation of the game, the state of the game was really strong. These are elite women athletes that are playing at the highest level of any female athlete in the world. The most diverse league in sports, the only women's professional sports league to last over two decades will tip off our 24th season and next year our 25th. We've got a USAB women's national team going for their seventh consecutive gold medal in the Tokyo Olympics. I mean, all WNBA players, this will be one of the greatest dynasties ever uh, when they win. Uh, and so, you know, I, we just taking a, an assessment of all of that. I said, we all said, we need to be bold. The owners get a big shout out, big credit for their boldness in stepping up with financial commitments. And we put together a holistic collective bargaining agreement because we all had the same goal. The players, the union, the league, and the owners lift women in sports because my belief was it's going to lift women in society. And that's why I took the job was to make change and make change more broadly than what I was doing before. So what are some of the goals that the league has broadly for empowering young girls like my 15-year-old daughter to dream big dreams and not just dream about being a pro athlete, but dream about I can do anything. I can be a commissioner. I can be a CEO. 
Yeah. So, and I meet with a lot of, we just had some, uh, girls, 10th grade girls from, you know, Brooklyn inner city come to the WNBA office, talking with them, looking at the diversity, looking at them, not as 10th grade girls, but future leaders, whether it's in the business world, sports world, wherever it might be, not-for-profit world, NGO world. And so it is important girls, you know, if you look at the statistics around, you know, female CEOs in the fortune 500, it's only five, 6%, but 95 of percent of them played sports through high school. Hmm. So there's something there around the leadership skills. And I was a huge beneficiary, Brian, of Title IX uh, and got to play in the 70s into the 80s when people in the 50s, women in the 50s and 60s didn't get that equal treatment. So, you know, kind of thinking about how you, but there's a statistic also that's a negative, which is girls by the age of 13, 14 drop out of organized sports at a much more alarming rate than boys do. Uh, and why is that? So we want to use and and kind of galvanize the entire women's sports ecosystem to drive more youth and girls in sports and to stay in sports. We actually have a lot of girls in sports, whether they stay in sports through those key, you know, preteen and then obviously teen years is is what we're going to strive for because no matter what sport it is, soccer, volleyball, basketball, lacrosse, and they're all popular right now. It's getting girls during those awkward years to stay in sports because I think, again, for me, it drove, I mean, I was really shy till I got to college and, you know, being a captain in college of two sports and really brought out early leadership skills mm-hmm. of, you know, confidence uh, and courage. You have to be courageous to play sports, especially today where you have to play year round and, you know, the, the toll it takes on your body. And I think we have to do some things to fix that as well. Um, because I think I, I played, I actually played tennis in high school as well. So I played three sports and it, it taught me balance of time and priorities and all that stuff. And we've lost a little bit of that with this year round one mm-hmm. sport, you know, model. Couldn't agree with you more. One of the great champions of the WNBA the last several years was Kobe Bryant. Uh, he's now gone. How do you fill that void? That That's a big void to fill. But, you know, I look at through hosting this show, I have all sisters. I have a daughter. Like part of my role is to also champion women's sports and, and women in business. And I look at Kobe's passing as other people need to step up now. Yeah, Brian, it's really good point. Quick story. So I was in the role maybe six weeks and I got a text from Adam Silver that said, um, Kathy, Kobe Bryant wants to come see you. And I was like, wow, I kind of like this job. Kobe Bryant wants to come see me. So, you know what? I said, great. Worked with his office to, he flew to New York, came to the WNBA offices and walked in the room, hugged me like we knew each other our whole lives. Now we're both from Philly. So we had that link, but, um, didn't never met him before, never was in his ecosystem, nor he and mine. And, um, he looked at me and he said, Kathy, I spend four hours a day on girls basketball and I love it. And this was just in October. And so we were supposed to spend an hour. We spent two hours. He was really interested in the strategy. I took him through the three pillars and double-clicked down on the three pillars and took him through what we were doing and how we were going to fund it and how we were going to activate you know, corporate sponsorships and media deals in a different way and how we were going to stand up special competitions like the Commissioner's Cup that was referred to before. We're also going to do a festival that fuses music and and pop culture and basketball. And he loved that. And he was really interested. And after we – so, but I said, but first, Kobe – we need long-term labor peace. So I need a few weeks, which turned into a few months to work on a long-term collective bargaining deal, which we did eight year deal, tripled the pay of the top players to over half a million dollars. And after that, he sent me a text with a big thumbs up, had his business manager call me. I'm ready to engage again. And that literally was a couple days before the tragedy. So obviously our, our hearts continue to go out uh, to the families. Um, Peyton, Alyssa and Gigi Gianna will be honored at our draft this year. Our draft is in April. Um, you know, and we're, we would like to do some special things leading into Father's Day as well because of this hashtag girl dad that has gone a bit viral after the ESPN rep- female reporter reported mm-hmm. that she and Kobe and he talked about himself as a girl dad. Um, and so, you know, the orange hoodie that he's pictured in, one of the last pictures of he and Gianna, we gave him that day. He was in the WNBA offices. I never thought he would wear it, let alone wear it courtside at a Lakers game. Right. <laughs> Great branding for the WNBA, that orange hoodie. So fanatics.com, by the way, you can buy 
it. Um, <laughs> or in the NBA store on Fifth Avenue in New York now. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, I mean, we're just devastated. He was a big advocate, but Brian, you make a really good point. Who else is going to step up? It's a call to action. Um, we have enormous support from NBA players. You know, I'll be sitting at a Las Vegas Aces game and James Harden will walk into the game or LeBron and, you know, in Washington, you know, Beal comes to all, uh, most of the games. And so we have enormous support, but I'm not sure anyone was advocating and coaching and really committed the way Kobe was. Um, and even if you can't really see this, but my nail, are Gianna and Kobe's numbers and, and Laker colors, even though I'm a Sixers fan, but I'm not allowed to be a fan anymore working for the NBA, WNBA. But yet we're just, we're devastated. And, you know, I do hope his legacy around women and girls sports and youth sports. So the Mama Sports Foundation, we're going to do, you know, a contribution there. Um, really important that we, we let this legacy live on because it was real. And a lot of people don't know how real it was. And for him to come to our offices, meet with me, early in my tenure the only nba player to do it is uh pretty special i want to switch topics uh exposure is really important for your league you've got some really good broadcast deals in place how do you build on that and grow the exposure not only domestically but globally yeah so two parts to that question because i have a whole global strategy but certainly on exposure so if you look at and study any professional sport including the nba 40 years into the nba the nba was on tape delay the nba finals were we were watching it on tape delay um and you know one big rivalry came about magic johnson and larry bird Mm -hmm. came out of michigan state indiana state big rivalry then they went to opposite coasts, obviously L.A. and Boston, and and there came exposure. And then a couple years later, a guy named Michael Jordan came in. And then obviously with Michael, the NBA, Nike, the marketing phenom that he was and the player he was helped a little bit here in Chicago. But um, and, and so you look at that model and you say, you know, we're in our we're tipping off our 24th season um, you know, we need rivalries. We need a couple household names. These players are elite. If you knew there are 144 unique, socially conscious, community-minded women who are amazing athletes. I mean, there's an athlete here in the city, Chicago, on the Chicago sky, and I hope you go see her and the entire team this season for those that are based here. Um, named Delino DeShield. She's Diamond DeShields' daughter. Yes, I've met her. Um, she is one of the most athletic, you know, players in our league. She's fabulous. She's exciting. Um, and, and there's, again, I have 143 other stories. We have Diana Taurasi, you know, who's called the goat. We have Sue Bird. We have, uh, Brittany Griner. We have Elena Deladon, the reigning MVP and WNBA champion. So we have so many great stories, but we have to do a better job. When I talked about trans, this is a multi-dimensional transformation of the league and hopefully ultimately helping women's sports more broadly, but really of our sales and marketing capability and our exposure capability because media, I mean, you look at the TV deals that men's professional sports have less than, and I didn't know this till I came into the job, less than 4% of all media coverage of sports covers women's sports. Think about that. The numerator and denominator. So, of course, as a former finance accounting person, I say, give me the numerator and denominator. And how are we going to move that 4% up? And how do we get that exposure, Brian, to the game? Because 80% of every purchasing decision in a U.S. household is made or influenced by a woman. 84% of people surveyed said they like to watch women's sports. But where are they? They can't find us on the channel. I had this little pet peeve with the cable networks where you sort now by sports and you go and you have to go to the, the more and then you go into the more and there's UFC and NASCAR and drag racing and no WNBA or any women's sport. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm working, you know, on that as well, but it's multidimensional. Um, we need more media deals. We need more digital native younger fans like the students in this room to come in. I know you're consuming live sports through streaming platforms. So whether it's Twitch or Twitter and we are on, we do live stream on Twitter and YouTube TV, but we've got to look at all of these platforms, uh, and look at how we're engaging our fans through them. Now, I love that you're on Twitter. I've watched on Twitter before and, uh, I think it's great that you're diversifying and you're not just going broadcast. You're also on these other platforms. All right. So I'm, Based in Oregon. Oh. <laughs> you know who I'm going to mention Yes, right now. absolutely. Sabrina is going to be an absolute star. How many of you guys know about Sabrina Inescu? I mean, she is like watching Magic Johnson play or, or Luka Doncic. She has an all-around game. And 
I think she's going to just be a 10 or 15 year player in the WNBA and someone you can build marketing campaigns around great personality. Yeah. So, I mean, again, as I'm blessed to have many of Sabrina's in the league, but Sabrina coming in, she's a senior at the university of Oregon. For those who don't know her, I actually went to an Oregon, Oregon state game up in Eugene. And the first thing I texted my team was we need a WNBA team in, or in Eugene because they outdraw the men, women's basketball in both Oregon State and Oregon. And, um, you know, Sabrina's going to be a phenom. The number one pick in our draft this year is New York. Uh, the New York oh, Liberty have the wow. number one pick. Our draft will be in April on ESPN. Uh, and, um, you know, we're really excited, not just for Sabrina. We have a very good rookie class this year that's going to come in. There's a few others as well. But she, you know, she has a great, you know, here's where social media is such a, a positive and an advantage for a player like that. She right. uses that for good. She used that to get Nike to carry her jersey. And Nike finally did, and it sold out within an hour, her jersey. And I know that from now sitting in Eugene, the whole audience had Sabrina Ionescu uh, jerseys on. So, you know, we're going to um, – she's going to be a special player, but we've got others in this draft class that are going to be really special. So the future of the league is bright. We've got some amazing veterans, many of which will play for that seventh gold medal. We have players outside the U.S. I never answered your global question. So we've got about 20, a little over 20 players from outside the U.S., from Australia. Liz Cambage um, and others. We have Canada with Kia Nurse and a few others. We've got, you know, our MVP of our WNBA finals was from Belgium um, and didn't even join till halfway into the season because she had national commitments for the national Belgian team. So, again, the, the future is bright. The state of the game is really strong, and we've got to fix the ecosystem around us and fix that 4% and less than 1% of all corporate sponsorship dollars go to women's sports. Think about that one, too. And um, so I know there's some corporations in the room, and, you know, we just launched a, a unique uh, collective of WNBA changemaker corporate sponsors to do something different around supporting women's sports and giving companies a real diversity inclusion platform and a, uh, an element of um, driving value of franchises up that corporations are very interested in sponsoring us. Well, and because of this new collective bargaining agreement, no longer do the players need to go play overseas to implement their their or supplement their income. They can play year round in the WNBA, and yeah, I and think we, that's and, really important. And one thing about the W, you know, even if you're drafted in the first or second round, unlike men's sports, you don't actually necessarily make the team because we're only 12 teams, 144 players. It's highly competitive. The depth is incredible. And so some of our players will end up still playing overseas because they need to. They don't get a lot of playing time or they're trying to make it into the WNBA. So fully expect players will continue to play. But what we've asked the players to do is we've stepped up with financial commitments and all the tools we'll have now around special competitions. And we've upped the uh, the uh, performance awards and uh, off-season employment. We've guaranteed um, some off-season employment for 30 players and paying them again under league and team marketing agreements. So we have all these tools now, Brian, that yes, we want our stars to stay in the U.S., help us market the league year-end because we have a fairly short season. We'll have 36 games this year. We'll actually take a break of a month off from for the Olympic to support all of uh, our Olympic players uh, from the U.S. and elsewhere. So, you know, we're, we're going to get there. That's going to take more time to use all these tools to drive higher player pay. And again, if we can drive the corporate sponsorship and the media deals in a different place, we'll be able to continue to pay the players more. And especially as we do the Commissioner's Cup this year, we're really excited. We've designated 60 games in the first half of our season to count towards points towards a Commissioner's Cup. We'll have a weekly leaderboard. Uh, and we'll play the finals of the Commissioner's Cup as we come off the Olympic break on August 14th from the the top point getter from the Eastern Conference versus the Western Conference. So we're really excited. That's a real asset that, again, we'll get media rights around and corporate sponsors. And then next year do a festival, you know. Um, I don't know how many of you know, three-on-three three basketball is an Olympic sport this year. Yes, it is. And it's the number one urban sport and popularity in the world. Wow. So basketball is strong, as you said, outside the U.S. when you were talking to Scott, as well as in. So, you know, a lot of a lot of um, indicators pointing north for both women, girls and just basketball in general. Two more questions before I let you go. Uh, You recently joined the board of McDonald's. Yes, here in Chicago. Yes. I got to bring that up. (laughs) 
That's exciting. Yeah. So obviously, given my former life of 33 years, I attended hundreds and hundreds of board meetings, and it was important to me to stay connected in the corporate culture, even though now I would be in sports uh, to serve. Serve. I serve on not-for-profit boards. I was the chair, first woman ever chair of the Board of Catalyst, which is an organization around workplaces that work for women, work for everyone. Uh, and I've stepped out of the chair, but I'm still on the board there and so, and do American Heart Association, a few others. So it was time. I actually couldn't go on a public company board in my prior life because of our public interest responsibility mm-hmm. around the audit and tax firm. But now that I've retired from Deloitte, I can, it uh, opens up opportunities and we don't have enough women on board. So this is a right. longer term goal of mine in ultimate retirement is to continue to serve. And I think, you know, given my background, it's, it was a good fit in McDonald's big consumer brand. And now what was interesting as I was interviewing for the role there said, we're interested in you because you're running a consumer brand. And that's when it hit me. Yeah, the WNBA, big platform consumer brand. And obviously McDonald's, big global brand, big consumer brand. Well, congratulations on that. Last question for uh, my daughter who will listen to this for the women in the room. What's your advice that you would give? I mean, again, you have such an impressive rise. And I, I think the big family the plane from Muffet, the walking on at Lehigh, the working at Deloitte, your path, I look at it. And again, that word I come back to is resilience. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to the people who say, I want to chart a similar path or I'm trying to make my way? Yeah. I mean, I I, I get um, a little mixed when people say you can't be what you can't see. Um, And a lot of people use that when it relates to gender equality at the higher ranks. But, you know, if I had followed that, I would have never been the first CEO in the history of a professional services firm or the first commissioner. So I do think you can be what you can't see. But what you need are three things, and they all happen to begin with C, confidence, courage, and curiosity. And I tell every student that I mentor and, um, and talk with is, you know, especially females, you know, I'll, I'll be in a group of students and the females will raise their hand and you can see them. They're not as confident as the men and in the group and, and they'll start their question with sorry and then they'll ask a great question and I'll look at them and I'll say, I don't remember the question because you started it with sorry. So don't apologize. Mm. Uh, and so that confidence is important. Courage is really important. I've had to do some courageous things in my career to get, not because I thought I'd be a CEO or a commissioner, but just because it was the right thing to do. And you have to have a strategy around what I ran at Deloitte was a people first agenda. Now it's easy to say player first at the W, but you have to have some courage as well. And curiosity. The world is changing so fast. The half-life of skills changes every couple years now. And you have to be curious about what's evolving. So again, for the students here, you already know this. As you look at the fourth industrial revolution and all the technological advances, you've got to be curious about what's evolving or your skills are just not going to keep up with the time. So I'd say those three things are are really important, male or female, but particularly for females who want to uh, ultimately rise. But never, as, I never aspired to be the CEO, I aspired to lead. And that came from sports, I'm sure, looking back. But, you know, I know everybody wants to be a CEO by the time they're 28. Thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. But, um, you know, I think if you work hard and you're curious and courageous, you'll you'll get there. I was so impressed with the job that you've done. I can't believe it's only been seven Seven months. months, You're doing a lot of good stuff. We got a lot more to do, though, a lot lot of transformation going on. But, you know, I'm blessed with such a great league, great players uh, and great support from the NBA and the whole NBA family as well. Let's give Kathy Engelbert a big hand. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. So that brings the Sports Business Radio Roadshow to a conclusion. Thank you so much to Kemper Lesnick for having us. Let's give them a hand. You can find the Sports Business Radio podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'd encourage you to subscribe. We're on Twitter at SB Radio. We're on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Thank you so much for having us. I appreciate it. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com.